the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to talk with Rebecca Friedlander. She's the author of a very interesting and creative book. It's called Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. And she does just that. It features the stories of several women some rather dramatic stories, and we'll talk with her later this hour. Also, we'll talk with Phyllis McNeil. She is the founder and CEO of Straight Talk. It's a mentoring organization that's making a real impact in the lives of young uh, children, those who have been in the foster care system, as well as those who have been in the, uh, uh, in the system because they've been incarcerated. Phyllis McNeil will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Well, today, of course, is the National Day of Prayer. It was back in 1775 on the eve of the Revolution that the First Continental Congress called for a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer. We would probably refer to that as humility today, but those are the words used at the time. Indeed, the founders saw a National Day of Prayer as a fitting observance. Well, in 1952, Congress established the National Day of Prayer as an annual event by the joint resolution signed into law by President Harry Truman. And the National Day of Prayer designation calls for the nation to turn to God in prayer and meditation. Well, each year since its inception, the president has signed a proclamation encouraging all Americans to pray on this day, and some do. Prayer is Almighty God's prerequisite for true hope and change, and our nation needs an abundance of both right about now. Uh, So we are going to focus some of our attention today on that very fact. I know that many of you have been Uh, Praying with others, praying perhaps on your own, but taking advantage of this opportunity to pray corporately, whether we are in a group at the time of our prayer or standing alone, uh, pray on behalf of our nation. Well, Israelis stopped their cars. They stood still, uh, often with heads bowed for two minutes today for the country's annual commemoration of the six million Jews victims of the Nazi Holocaust. Today was Holocaust Remembrance Day. Sirens rang out nationwide during that commemoration. Pedestrians and drivers in Jerusalem, the bustling seaside city of Tel Aviv, elsewhere, stood on roadsides and in the middle of streets in silence. Literally everything stopped. Israel began commemoration on Wednesday night with a ceremony, and that's local time, uh, with a ceremony at Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem that included speeches from the Prime Minister and President Reuven Rivlin. With repeated warnings about a rise in anti-Semitism globally, there were also newer approaches to spreading awareness of the Nazi genocide to a younger generation. A privately created Instagram account based on the life of a 13-year-old Holocaust victim, Eva.Stories, had grown to more than 800,000 followers by Thursday afternoon. They essentially impose a contemporary setting uh, the language and so on to an Instagram account as if she were keeping a record of events prior to the Holocaust and then the events leading to her death in a gas chamber. Posts to that account uh, trace her life as if she were, uh, if she had Instagram at that time. Netanyahu in his comments on Wednesday night said that we are living nowadays in a paradox. 
The worldwide admiration for the Jewish state is accomplished within certain circles, accompanied within certain circles by a growing hatred toward Jews, he said. The radical right, the radical left, the radical Islam all agree on one thing only, hatred toward Jews. He also pointed, um, pointedly referred to Saturday's shooting in a California synagogue that killed one person, wounded three others, two of them Israelis. Uh, Rivlin, without specifying names, warned against allying with uh, leaders who employ new forms of anti-Semitism. Netanyahu has been criticized for forming alliances with right-wing European leaders, such as uh, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, as a way of countering European Union criticism of Israel's treatment of Palestinians. Orban has faced allegations of stoking anti-Semitism in Hungary with nationalist rhetoric and a campaign against U.S. Jewish billionaire philanthropist George Soros. Not not every right-wing party in Europe that believes in controlling immigration or in protecting its unique character is anti-Semitic or xenophobic, Rivlin said. But political forces where anti-Semitism and racism are a part of their language, their legacy or their ideology can never be our allies, end quote. A report on Wednesday warned anti-Semitism was on the rise in parts of North America and Europe where Jews once felt safe and spoke of an increasingly uh, increasing sense of emergency. Moshe Cantor, who's the president of the European Jewish Congress, sounded the alarm in an annual report from his Cantor Center that draws uh, an official statistic. In 2018, we witnessed the largest number of Jews murdered in a single year since Decades, Cantor said, deploring a 13 percent rise in severe and violent incidents. The Anti-Defamation League said in a report published Tuesday that anti-Semitic incidents in the United States remained at near record high levels in 2018. Well, that included an October attack at a synagogue in Pittsburgh that killed 11 people, the deadliest ever attack against American Jews in this country. Taking a look at some of the headlines After uh, Wednesday's contentious day of testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee regarding the Mueller report, Attorney General William Barr informed the House Judiciary Committee that he would not testify Thursday as scheduled, prompting threats of subpoenas from Democrats and a possible contempt citation. Democrats vowed to hold the hearing anyway, which they did, leaving open the possibility of the spectacle of House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler gaveling in a hearing with an empty chair reserved for Barr. That is precisely what they did. However, a bucket of chicken was placed on that chair. A key uh, sticking point was that Nadler wanted to have House Judiciary Committee staff rather than members of Congress question him on his handling of special counsel Robert Mueller's report on the Russian investigation. But Department of Justice officials said members should conduct the inquiry. And it was unclear why Democrats didn't propose having staffers provide questions to members during that hearing. Well, the rift between Barr and congressional Democrats was the backdrop for a tense day of testimony yesterday where the attorney general accused the lawmakers of using the criminal justice process as a political weapon ahead of the 2020 presidential election and declared the Justice Department's role in the Russia probe controversy over. President Trump, in an interview with Fox Business, uh, Trish Reagan primetime praised Barr's testimony, but said lawmakers treated him differently than anyone else. Well, differently is certainly one way to put it. And Representative Ilhan Omar of uh, Minnesota suggested on Wednesday that the United States could be partly to blame for the ongoing turmoil in Venezuela, saying the policies of the Trump administration had kind of helped lead the devastation. Of course, That devastation began long before the Trump administration. She was appearing on Democracy Now!, a news program broadcast on PBS. Omar was asked to weigh in on what the host described as a U.S.-supported coup attempt against Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. And both the U.S. government and Maduro, excuse me, and uh, 
Uh, Guaido uh, said that the United States was unaware of what uh, was going to take place on Tuesday. And there are 50 other Western nations and others across the the globe that also support uh, Guaido. A lot of the policies that we have put in place, uh, she said, have kind of helped lead the devastation in Venezuela. And we have sort of set the stage for where we are arriving today, she said. This particular bullying and the use of sanctions to eventually intervene and make regime change really does not help the people of countries like Venezuela. And it certainly does not help and is not in the interest of the United States, she said, demonstrating once again her inability to grasp some of the core issues of the nation. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, former Vice President Joe Biden expressed his lack of concern over China as a global competitor to the United States at a rally on Wednesday, prompting a grim response from Senator Mitt Romney on Twitter. Biden, the 2020 Democratic frontrunner, mocked those who have taken China seriously. China is going to eat our lunch, he asked with a question mark. Come on, man, Biden exclaimed. They're not competition for us, end quote. Well, that sparked a reaction from Romney, who ran against Biden's running mate, the former President Barack Obama, in 2012. This will not age well, Romney predicted in a tweet uh, for um, in response to the uh, the questionable international deals uh, that were made in the previous administration and for the comment. The next revolution host. um, uh, Well, let me rephrase that. Steve Hilton uh, referred to the uh, the former vice president as Joe China. He's the host of The Next Revolution, uh, who was interviewing Romney at the time. Well, Covington Catholic High School student Nicholas Sandman is suing NBC Universal for a whopping $275 million for defamation over the media coverage he received earlier this year. His lawyer said Wednesday Sandman was at the center of a uh, viral controversy back in January alongside reports suggesting that he and his classmates had initiated a confrontation with Native American elder Nathan Phillips outside the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., Subsequent reporting and video evidence contradicted that version of events. This marks the third major lawsuit that Sandman's legal team has launched. The team is also suing The Washington Post for $250 million, as well as CNN's $275 million. Sandman's lawyer previously suggested that the Associated Press and HBO could face similar lawsuits. And some fans are upset after... uh, Imagine Dragons bested the iconic rock band Queen to take home the coveted top rock artist honor on Wednesday evening at the 2019 Billboard Music Awards in Las Vegas. Uh, Imagine Dragons won a rock award over Queen, one of the best rock bands of all time, tweeted one social media users. What kind of world gives best rock band to Imagine Dragons over Queen, another went on to say, referring to the Billboard Awards. You can wake up now. Attorney General um, William Barr did not appear before the House Judiciary Committee today to answer questions about special counsel Robert Mueller. And that was much of the uh, headline news for the day. We'll give you more details on that uh, shortly. But Thursday uh, was the day that he was uh, supposed to uh, go before the committee. But there was a dispute over protocol, whether or not he would be willing to submit to questions from staff attorneys Uh, He was not. And the Democratic chairman of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee said on Wednesday an agreement has been reached to have special counsel Robert Mueller testify to Congress on his probe into Russian election interference and possible attempts by the president to impede the probe. And the fact that Mueller did not uh, rule one way or the other on 
obstruction has um, left a lot of uh, wiggle room for controversy. Representative Jerry Nadler told reporters the agreement was for Mueller to testify sometime in May, but that is a specific date has yet to be agreed upon. So maybe some of these things can be resolved one way or the other. In 2013, several years after he was first hired, a male employee told uh, his employer, R.G. and G.R. Harris Funeral Homes, he wanted to dress as a woman at work. The funeral home owner, Thomas Rost, refused to comply with this wish, insisting it was not in the best interest of grieving families, or nor was it how the uh, company wanted to represent itself. For the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, ru- Circuit rather, ruled that the federal government can force R.G. and G.R. Harris Funeral Homes and its owner to allow a male employee who identifies as female to dress as such at work. Well, this essentially redefines sex as referred to in Title VII uh, in ways that it uh, is different than when it was interpreted and enacted in 1964. Now the Supreme Court has agreed to hear that case to see if the EEOC and federal judges have the authority, the power, by, to bypass Congress and redefine the word. And weeks after Democratic leadership decided to shelve their budget resolution for fiscal year 2020, a group of House Republicans has released a detailed budget it hopes will serve as a playbook for how the government, should they regain the majority, should run. The Republican Study Committee, chaired by Representative Mike Johnson, called it an abdication of responsibility by Democrats to fail to present a budget, but said it was ready and willing to fill that vacuum of leadership with its own. And the White House sent Congress a $4.5 billion emergency spending request on Wednesday, citing an unfolding humanitarian and security crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border as record numbers of Central American families and children seek uh, entrance to the United States. The request included $3.3 billion for humanitarian assistance and $1.1 billion for border operation. We've now been told that about 30 percent of those who come to the border posing as families are not biologically related. And they've started giving um, uh, cheek swabs for DNA tests to determine whether or not individuals are, in fact, family. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents uh, arrested 424 migrants attempting to cross the southern border on Tuesday in the largest collective arrest in the agency's history. The um, uh, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents encountered and ultimately apprehended a group of what seemed to be over 400 early on Tuesday morning near the border town of Sunland Park, New Mexico, according to an agency press. And according to the Associated Press, Maine has banned single-use food and drink containers made from polystyrene foam, commonly known as styrofoam, becoming the first state to do so. Democratic Governor Janet Mills signed the bill, which takes effect in 2021, into law Tuesday. On the flip side, um, Florida lawmakers on Tuesday passed a bill stating local governments could not enforce plastic straw bans over the next five years. And in her first major um, policy proposal of 2020 presidential election, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a long shot candidate for the Democratic nomination, is suggesting that every voter be given $600 to donate to federal elections campaigns, affectionately named Democracy Dollars. She says the taxpayer funded venture will clean up elections and attack the corrupting influence of money at its core. Now, where does that $600 come from? Well, those are tax dollars paid by people who would either support or reject a particular candidacy and would rob them of the uh, capacity to determine where their specific dollars would go and to whom 
uh, these camp, uh, campaign dollars would uh, support. On Wednesday, attorneys for Nicholas Sandman, the Covington, well, I already told you that one. But on this day in 1994, Nicholas, or rather Nelson Mandela, claims victory in the wake of South Africa's first democratic elections. President F.W. de Klerk acknowledges defeat. And on this day in 1982, the Weather Channel makes its debut. And on this day in 1941, General Mills begins shipping its new cereal, Cheerios, not Cheerios, but Cheerios, to uh, six uh, test markets. The cereal would later be named Cheerios, as we most likely are familiar with it today. Well, today on um, Better Together, uh, the women talked about being unique and what makes you you. Tomorrow on Better Together, TBN's new program, the the program um, that's produced by women for women, Tomorrow, they're going to talk about recovering your identity and what happens when a family, friends, or reputation fall apart. They're going to talk about finding your identity after a storm, and that can be such a challenging and debilitating time. How do you survive it and even thrive through it? That's what they're going to be talking about tomorrow on Better Together. Now, the program airs 1030 a.m. Pacific time on TBN. You can also download the TBN app or go to visit bettertogether.tv and register to watch the program anytime. In any case, you can see Better Together uh, past uh, episodes and current um, at one of these three um, outlets. Every panel of women that is part of Better Together will cover topics of discussion that really impacts uh, women. These are women talking about issues that we all share in common and do so in a biblical way that helps us not only better understand ourselves, but better understand how to respond to some of the challenges we face. It's not just a TV program. It is a community. It's built on love and friendship and encouragement. And it's uh, time that we join together to make the world a better place. We don't need to do life alone when we can do it together because we are all better together. So check it out. 1030 a.m. on TBN, a brand new program. They're in their second week. A great chance to uh, to check them out. Also want to encourage you to join us on Friday night. We have our comedy evening with the Amy Barnes at Tiger Christian Church. Everything starts at 7 p.m. And following uh, the event when Amy shares her humor, we've all laughed and maybe done a little crying together. We're going to have a a time of fellowship with dessert and coffee, tea. We'll take some pictures, and it's just going to be a fun time. So join us uh, for our the girls' night out because we, too, are better together. So check that out. That's coming up this Friday at Tigard Christian Church. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll talk with Rebecca Friedlander, author of Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest writes in the introduction to her book, What Would It Look Like to Pack Your Bags and Travel the World in Search of True Beauty? If you wanted to document authentic beauty, would you capture fashion models on runways, nature's finest mountaintops, a mother's arms, or intriguing corners of the globe that most people ignore? She did it. She did it all in a nine-month adventure from Paris to Los Angeles, styling makeovers and photo shoots with fascinating women who shared powerful discoveries about passion, faith, and beauty. She found that many lies women mistakenly believe about their identity are often similar regardless of their background or nationality, and that each radiant truth also has a common theme. Her book is a personal ticket to adventure and a daring quest to discover your identity as a woman of God. So... She takes us on her travels, and we travel together. I'm referring to the book, 
Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. She tells the story of 12 women, and they are fascinating. It's so creatively and beautifully done. Uh, just hearing the stories um, is is an, an adventure, but finding the depth in those stories is also uh, wonderful. Well, Rebecca Friedlander has been a full in full time ministry for seventeen years, ministering both locally and internationally using creative arts and music. As a worship leader, she has copyright copyrighted more than three hundred songs and released thirteen CDs. As a film producer and award winning photographer, her productions include Seeds TV, Girl Perfect, Pioneers, a Southeast Alaskan Odyssey and many, many others. Her newest production, Radical Makeovers, is a TV series about beauty, featuring makeovers and testimonies of 40 women around the world who have overcome image-related issues. She's the author of eight books. Rebecca lives in San Diego, California, but today she joins us by phone to talk about her beautiful book, Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. Rebecca Friedlander, thank you so much for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, this is such an unusual approach to the subject of beauty, and you have had access to women around the world that most of us will never have, and yet somehow there is a thread that runs through each of their stories that that feels and sounds very familiar that I think um, most women, if not all of us, will be able to relate to. Tell us a bit of the background, the television program that really sparked um, this book. Yes. So I'm a freelance filmmaker. And I just had a passion to really go deep in some different issues. One of those um, that was on my heart was with inner beauty, but not just inner beauty. Beauty is a whole for women. Um, I was shooting a film called Girl Perfect, which was about a runway model and her testimony. And I was in Europe and just walking the streets, asking people, what is your definition of the word beautiful? <laughs> just doing some street interviews. It was amazing to me how many people said, we don't really know. Um, hmm. and, and then coming back to the States and saying, okay, what is your definition of beauty? I went to Los Angeles and, and went to some of the, the beautiful beaches and just asked people this question. And, and a lot of people said, oh, it's being comfortable in your own skin or having confidence. But then you ask them, do you think our culture today is doing a good job of defining beauty for women? And across the board, the answer was no. Hmm. And so it made me think, okay, here's something that are, we, need to, we can step into um, as believers and really provide some answers to a culture who knows there's something wrong with how we're defining beauty today, but they don't really know what that looks like. Yeah. Now, one tends to think that in our culture that is very superficial that beauty is understood as uh, physical beauty, attributes that you either have or you don't have. You can enhance in certain ways, and we follow uh, people who seem to have it together. We try to follow their example. Is that kind of a definition or that understanding of beauty, you either have it or you don't, based on your physical attributes or, for that matter, your history, is that unique to the United States, or did you find that that was fairly common in other places as well? I think every culture has its own definition of beauty. Um, and I would say it's a twofold response to that. First of all, of course, so many people still pick up the magazines, you know, the beauty industry and the cosmetic industry and the fashion industry everywhere, um, especially in the Western world. But I also did some, some other questions as I was talking to women on the street, and I said, who is the most beautiful person you know? And across the board, the answer was my mother. Hmm. 
And so I think, again, there's this twofold thing going on right now in our culture where we're hungry for something deeper. We recognize that beauty is fleeting, but we're not quite sure what that looks like. We know what it feels like, and it's, it's love. But but what does that look like in our world, and how we how can we paint that in a deeper way? Now, in your quest to um, discover and to define, to find, if you will, beautiful, um, what was your goal in singling out these twelve women that make up the book and helping us to understand, hear, and understand their stories, and then to reveal them not only as physically beautiful, but exposing the beauty within that makes them even more attractive. I really wanted to go for women who had a transformation experience, had an internal makeover, if you will, mm-hmm. to where I could do a before and after story and take do a makeover with them, show pictures of their before and after makeover that tied in with their story, and have some radical black and white change. And so uh, some of these women, you know, they had grown up in Christian homes. Some of them had not. Um, but what happened is that when they really encountered Jesus, like really encountered him in a deep way, it not only helped them understand their identity, but it changed their definition of beauty. Now tell our listeners some of the places you went to find these stories, because I I think that's fascinating in and of itself. (laughs) It is, yeah. It was just a fun adventure. I didn't have it all planned out. I didn't know it was going to take nine months. I just kind of said yes to God's tug in my heart to do this adventure. And so uh, Paris, France, Hawaii, um, Ireland, um, the United Kingdom, England, uh, just really, really went around um, to some to some place. Also Israel and the Middle East interviewed some amazing women out there. And in total, it was 50 women that I interviewed, and then we chose 12 of them for this book. And you chose the 12 because each of them had a transformational story. Each one of them are just amazing women. I mean, we have yes. one one young woman from the Middle East, and her, her great-grandparents were in the Holocaust. And her, her grandmother <clears throat> was hidden as a child for five years in a basement and never saw a mirror. And so when she saw herself, she immediately thought, wait a minute, I'm not blonde-haired and blue-eyed? And so she had this incredible insecurity. And then fast forward three generations, her her granddaughter is having all these struggles with securities and locks herself in the basement for a year as a teenager. And so we really see just some of these amazing stories and then how she broke broke free from that. Her chapter is called Beautiful Warrior and how we can overcome some of the fears and insecurities um, that may be passed down to us. So every one of them just had this amazing story. And then there were truths that we can apply and embrace to our lives as well. Every chapter has questions that we can ask ourselves and put ourselves in this place of, wow, how can I make this personal? Um, What is the takeaway for me? One of the things I appreciate about the book is the images of the women whose stories are being told appear in the book. There's the first image um, that is uh, a fairly plain image. And some of them either holding a sign, there's something written on them. Uh, The one I'm looking at in in Beautiful uh, Security, Despised and Rejected, is written on her forearms as her story is being told. The pictures as the story is told and you come to the conclusion change rather dramatically. Um, As you learned of their stories and learned of the dramatic uh, transformation that they experienced in discovering that they themselves possessed beauty, um, you did, you know, hair and makeup and makeovers, but did you sense a transformation that even defied the superficial um, 
uh, improvement of their appearance. I did. And, and what was beautiful is that just in connecting with these women, there were several specific times where I really got them, got to see them display the character that they were talking about, that they had stepped into. So, for instance, the chapter you're talking about, Beautiful Security, I was in Paris, France, interviewing this girl. And <laughs> as soon as I got to Paris, uh, we were chatting, and there was a break-in that happened where somebody actually smashed the door. It's a really funny story. Um, and, and broke into the house, and I got to watch this young woman step in and totally take leadership of the situation and connect with the police and just and just step in. And the story is she was bullied as a child. She was terrified of people. But right there on the spot, I get to watch her demonstrate courage and demonstrate taking leadership from being in that place of safety and peace with the Lord. We're talking about the book, Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. Rebecca Friedlander is my guest. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation and give you an opportunity to hear some of the stories that are featured in the book. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 48 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about the book Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World, as my guest, Rebecca Friedlander, uh, did. Now, having asked the question to so many, what does beauty mean to you? Yes, I love that question because it really causes us to go a little bit deeper than just the surface. Obviously, mm-hmm. our culture would say, it's the magazine, it's the outside beauty, or it's even confidence in yourself that causes you just to be comfortable in your own skin. But reality is that we're all, we're all wilting, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> all, um, our, our outside beauty and even our inner confidence is not always as best as it could be. But true beauty is to find out who your creator says you are and to tap into that place. And then out of that love and out of that peace, you can really display beauty for the rest of the world. Now, it's a, a difficult question because every one of the stories in your book, Finding Beautiful, is in and of itself a beautiful story. It's inspiring and it challenges us to rethink how we look at ourselves in light of what beauty is. Is there a favorite or uh, is there a story that is especially moving to you? I love all those stories. I yes. have <laughs> every one of the women. They're all in my heart. If you've been on my show, you're on my heart or in my book. Um, there's, there's two that come to mind. One of them is Lauren. She lives in central California, way up in the mountains of a ski resort town. And her chapter is called Beautiful Adventure. And not only did we capture her story as how she was uh, a young woman who traveled around the world by herself, just being available to God and has all these amazing stories. But then we also went on an adventure to find a hot spring in the middle of the mountains. And we had no path of the general direction of where we were going. And just this moment of having to trust God when you don't know where you are, but you know where you're supposed to be, was just this beautiful moment of, you know what, this is part of beauty, is going, God, I don't even know what this looks like sometimes, but I know you got this. And I know you have my final destination. So that was just a really, a really fun moment. Another one um, was Oriel, who is a young woman in the Middle East. And we went into the streets of Jerusalem and filmed her story and shot these photos that were just epic and, and talked about life as an immigrant and what it was like for her as a young child to move from the United States to the Middle East and how that transition really affected her, her identity for many years. 
Yeah, it's so interesting to um, to see the first picture that you take. And in the case of uh, Lauren that you mentioned a moment ago, she's pictured mm-hmm. holding a sign that says boxed in. And yet this is a woman who travels, <laughs> travels the world and sometimes isn't entirely certain where she's going, which in and of itself is such a transformation from where she began. Mm-hmm. This woman who had such promise and yet felt boxed in. I think we limit ourselves just like we limit our definition of beauty. But God steps in, (laughs) and it really is sometimes just a matter of obedience to get us out of the box and help us step into that transition. And on the other side, we're carrying all of this this treasure, Um, and and it's a real encouragement for other people to step out as well. Mm. Now, did you identify with uh, some of the women who were featured in your book, Finding Beautiful? I did. There's one story in particular, uh, Catherine, who's a singer-songwriter, and she talks about growing up in a Christian home where um, they didn't really cultivate the idea of, of being beautiful or embracing that, and so she just kind of shelved the whole idea of looking physically beautiful and turned to creativity to express herself. Um, but, but it kind of became this guise for, well, I could never really achieve, so I won't even try. And I think that was, in some ways, the way that I grew up when it came to beauty. I was in a very conservative home, so we really didn't even talk about physical beauty in any kind of healthy way. And it wasn't until later in my relationship with the Lord where I was like, you know what, it is okay to explore our our beauty as women, because that's part of how God made us. That's part of being human. But then how do we do that in a way that really honors Him, Mm -hmm. and we can have fun with it? So I think... That was kind of a journey that sort of reflected um, my walk as well, of going, wow, what is beauty, and how do we embrace this in a, in a way that pleases the Lord? Mm. Now, you uh, make the point that our faith can suffer when women in particular don't recognize and cherish our own beauty and that of others. Explain how that is the case and why it's important for us um, to recognize ours and others' beauty. Well, if you think of the creator of the universe, he made peacocks, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he made butterflies, he made all of these beautiful things. So for us to somehow go, oh, he's not interested in beauty, wow, that limits his his artistic skill in our lives, doesn't it? And so I think it's just a matter of just coming to him and saying, God, redefine this place. And for some people, what's beautiful is different than, than other people. You know, like, humor is incredibly beautiful, a good sense of humor, kindness, um, gentleness. You know, there's a whole lot of things that are listed in the Word of God, but that we can just kind of push aside to go, well, you know, maybe I don't fit that stereotype of, quote, biblical beauty. But then to go, well, God, what did, what did you see when you put beauty in my heart? How, how do you want me to embrace that? And how do we find that out? You know, it struck me. Um, I have the book in front of me. I've seen the pictures that even if you hadn't included them, you're a freelance a filmmaker. You're a beautiful photographer. And these images are incredible in and of themselves. But if you hadn't included the physical pictures, and by the way, I'm glad you did, I think the beauty in each one of these women would still have been made um, evident because of their stories, how they're told and what they um, what they experienced at the end of the story as they matured in their understanding of uh, beauty and recognized it in themselves through sometimes very difficult circumstances. Absolutely. And we didn't want to skirt the idea of, of brokenness and how God brings beauty for ashes. 
because he's so not limited. <laughs> you know, all we have to do is, is give him our best. And he goes, oh, let me see that. We have one young woman who um, had told her story of growing up in a very dysfunctional religious family uh, that caused her to turn away from the Lord and uh, make some choices um, in regards to her own life. And she ended up aborting her child at the age of 16 and how that just devastated her for years until she walked through healing. God just brought her this amazing place of healing and redemption. And even since the book has been published, it's in the last couple of months, she has been married to a man who has four children. Mm. And it's just so exciting. So it's this continuing story of redemption. It's all about him and about how he puts beauty in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Now, the women in your book struggle with similar feelings of inadequacy and self-doubt and shame. Uh, it, it isn't just um, the absence, the lack of beauty that we perceive in ourselves. These are universal struggles for many women. How does Scripture equip us to banish these feelings that so often prevent us from moving into uh, our our full uh, purpose that God has for us? Yeah, two things. I think Scripture gives us a mindset of belonging to a Father who loves us already. So we don't have to try to achieve or to rack up a number, a number, enough points if you will, in order to earn the love that we crave and that sense of belonging, because we can find that now. The other thing I think that Scripture does is it brings us tools that equip us that when we hear those lies coming against us, we can say, no, 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 this is what my Father says. And just like Jesus, when he was being tempted by the enemy, we can use the Word to fight back. And so I don't think Scripture just immediately solves all our problems. I think we have to use it. Mm -hmm. And it's those two things, developing that mindset and also picking up those tools, just like Jesus did. Yeah. How do you see your work as a filmmaker give you uh, unique insight into um, beauty and particularly beauty in women? I think I'm a storyteller at heart. And so when you're capturing somebody's story on film, first of all, it's all live action. So you don't miss anything. You can watch how a woman is communicating. Um, I've gotten cheered up behind the camera, you know, just just hearing their stories or just start like smiling and laughing, just moved by the emotion. And I think that that shows up um, within film, which is part of the the beauty uh, of that process. You really can kind of capture things um, in, in a way that you can more than if you're just sitting there with a pen or or behind the computer. Yeah. Now, I love the book. You feature 12 stories. The television program that you produced uh, features many more. Is that still uh, available for people to find and watch? Absolutely. So Radical Makeovers can be found um, on television. Pure Flix um, has just released the Radical Makeovers Season 2. So that's available as well. Pure Flix. Is that a subscription channel? It is. So Pure Flix is a... Um, a video on demand channel, and it's safe based so a lot of amazing entertainment. And they are awesome. Pure yeah. Flix is just great. Yeah, you can make a selection and not regret it later because something popped up that you did not expect. <laughs> well, um, Absolutely. Rebecca, thank you so much for this beautiful book um, and uh, for sharing the stories in it with us. Let me ask you what you hope your readers, when they've uh, read the final chapter and they close the book, what do you hope they carry away in their heart? I would love for them to feel accepted, um, even with their flaws, to know that they're okay right where they are. And then also just to know they can run into the arms of their father and receive his truth, um, that it's a good truth. 
yeah. and that, that they can tap into that place of beauty, that place of safety and confidence. They can only be found in Him. And then from that, we just start radiating. So that, that's, that's my hope, is just to be a tool that comes alongside their journey. We also have a lot of moms that are picking up the book and reading it with their daughters and saying, you know what, this explains everything that I want you to know as you're growing up. And um, I love that as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Again, the book is titled Finding Beautiful, Discovering Authentic Beauty Around the World. Rebecca Friedlander is the author, and her program, A Radical Makeover, can be seen on Pure, uh, Pure Flicks. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. When we return, we're going to talk about the day, National Day of Prayer. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show on this Thursday afternoon. James Blend is producing. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. Well, today, of course, is the National Day of Prayer. It exists to mobilize and unify the public in prayer for the United States of America. And it's been a part of our national landscape for many, many years. Well, the National Day of Prayer is an annual observance. It's held on the first Thursday of May every year, inviting people of all faiths to pray for the nation. It was created in 1952 by a joint resolution of the United States Congress and signed into law by President Truman. The task force is privately funded. Um, The purpose is to encourage participation in the National Day of Prayer. And so there is a committee behind uh, helping all of us be reminded of the occasion, providing resources for churches and so on. And it exists to communicate with every individual the need for personal repentance and prayer to create appropriate materials, uh, to mobilize the Christian community, to intercede for America's leaders and its families. Now, this is a very unique opportunity. We live in the United States, so I suppose to us it doesn't seem all that uh, unique that um, the nation would be called to a season of prayer, and uh, the designation was created in 1952, but it was during the Revolution that the first call to prayer uh, was uttered in this country, recognizing that while not everyone in this country is a Christian, not all profess to be followers of Christ, but there was a recognition that this nation uh, needed help from God in order to survive and thrive. And so it was that acknowledgement that um, propelled the country forward. Thomas Jefferson in 1808 said this, Fasting and prayer are religious exercises. The enjoining them an act of discipline. Every religious society has a right to determine for itself the time of these exercises and the objects proper for them according to their own particular tenets. And right uh, can never be safer than in their hands where the Constitution has deposited it. Um, suggesting once again that this is a good thing. Well, because of the faith of many of the founding fathers, public prayer and national days of prayer have long standing and significant history in this country. It's become a tradition. The Supreme Court affirmed the right of state legislatures, for example, to open their sessions with prayer in Marsh versus Chambers back in 1983. But that really was an, an affirmation of what has been the case for many, many years. The first call to prayer came in 1775. Well, the National Day of Prayer has great significance for us as a nation as it enables us to recall and to teach the way in which are the founding fathers of this country. I don't say uh, our founding fathers because I was not included in that franchise. That came much, much later as an African-American. But they sought the wisdom of God when faced with critical decisions. It stands as a call for us to humbly come before God who invites 
invites us into his presence, which in and of itself is a marvel, seeking his guidance for our leaders and his grace upon us as a people. The unanimous passage of the bill establishing the National Day of Prayer as an annual event signifies that prayer is as important to our nation today as it was in the beginning. And again, it is significant that as a nation, that acknowledgement has been made. Now, we have departed far from some of these core values. The fact is the presidents of the United States have issued proclamations right up until this present day. So while there is a drifting away from these core principles, there is still a call to prayer and a need for it, perhaps greater than back in those early years. Well, like Thanksgiving or Christmas, this day has become a national observance placed on all Hallmark calendars and observed annually across the nation and in Washington, D.C. Every year, local, state, and federal observances were held from sunrise to sunset, from Maine to Hawaii, uniting Americans from all socioeconomic, political, and ethnic backgrounds in prayer for our nation. doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican, a conservative or a liberal, we are called to pray. It is estimated that over 2 million people attended more than 30,000 observances organized by approximately 40,000 volunteers. And these are only um, occasions that have been reported to the National Day of Prayer organization. At state capitals, at county courthouses, on the steps of city halls and in schools, businesses, churches and homes, people stopped their activities and gathered for prayer. Even now, there are people who are gathering for that very purpose in our community. Churches holding events this evening in which the people are praying. The National Day of Prayer belongs to all Americans. It's a day that transcends differences. It brings together citizens from all backgrounds. Shirley Dobson, who's the chairman emeritus, reminded us that we have lost many of our freedoms in America because we have been asleep. I feel if we do not become involved and support the annual National Day of Prayer, we could end up forfeiting this freedom, too. Well, here's the historic summary. 1775, the first Continental Congress called for a National Day of Prayer. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln called for such a day. In 1952, as mentioned, Congress established the National Day of Prayer as an annual event by a joint resolution signed into law by President Truman. The vote, by the way, was 82 to 324. 1988, the law was amended and signed by President Ronald Reagan, designating the National Day of Prayer as the first Thursday in May. There have been 146 national calls to prayer, humiliation, fasting, and thanksgiving by the presidents of the United States. There have been 69 presidential proclamations for the National Day of Prayer, again from 1952 to the present. Gerald Ford, by the way, in 1976, George H. Bush in 1989 and 91, Barack Obama 2012, Donald Trump in 2017, 18, and 19 are the only presidents to sign multiple national uh, prayer proclamations in the same year. Every president since 1952 has signed a National Day of Prayer proclamation. 35 of the 45 U.S. presidents have signed proclamations uh, for national prayer. Three of the presidents who did not sign a proclamation died while serving in office. You can make of that what you will. Two presidents not included in the count, William Howard Taft and Warren Um, Harding signed proclamations for Thanksgiving and prayer. Records indicate there have been 1,526 state and federal calls for national prayer since 1775 and counting. One wonders how long this tradition will continue. Well, President Trump this year signed the National Day of Prayer proclamation, and it reads as thus. Americans have always found power and unity through prayer. In 1988, the Congress, by public law 107 called on the president to issue each year a proclamation designating the first Thursday in May as a national day of prayer. 
Today, on this National Day of Prayer, we once again come together to give thanks to Almighty God for the bountiful blessings He has bestowed on our great nation and to ask for His unfailing counsel. We also acknowledge our dependence on God's love to guide our families, communities, and our country away from harm and toward abundance and peace. Our nation acknowledges that religious liberty is a natural right given to us by our Creator, not a courtesy that government extends to us. The First Amendment recognizes the freedom of religion and safeguards this right against government infringement. The United States' steadfast commitment to upholding religious freedom has ensured that people of different faiths can pray together and live in peace as fellow American citizens. We have no tolerance for those who disrupt this peace, and we condemn all hate and violence, particularly in our places of worship. Throughout our nation's history, Americans have consistently turned to God for guidance at pivotal moments. In 1775, the Continental Congress first declared a day of prayer asking American patriots throughout the colonies to pray in earnest for divine help in forming our republic. Seventy-five years ago this June, President Franklin Roosevelt led the nation in prayer as courageous Americans stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. He prayed, Almighty God, our sons, pride, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their heart, steadfastness in their faith. Today we also pray for strength for our nation and our armed forces as we face new challenges at home and abroad. Our nation's honored tradition of prayer has sustained us and strengthened our trust that God will continue to watch over and accompany us through the best of times and the darkest hours. May we as Americans never forget the power of prayer and the greatness of our Creator. On this National Day of Prayer, let each of us, according to our own faiths, call upon God for His guidance and express our gratitude for the love and grace He bestows on us and our country. Now, therefore, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, do hereby proclaim May the 2nd, 2019, as a National Day of Prayer. I invite the citizens of our nation to pray in accordance with their own faith and conscience in thanksgiving for the freedoms and blessings we have received and for God's guidance and continued protection as we meet the challenges before us. In witness whereof, I have hereunto set my hand this 13th day of April, or rather 30th day of April, in the year of our Lord, 2019, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 243rd Presidential Proclamation. Fifteen minutes after five o'clock is our time. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Nineteen minutes after five o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as we are humbling ourselves as a nation to pray for the future and course of this republic, I wanted to remind you that some 30 million Americans are under flash flood watches from Texas to Illinois. There were severe storms that killed two in Oklahoma, and this slow-moving storm system is bringing the threat of flash floods to tens of millions of fellow Americans from Texas all the way to Illinois. Well, the National Weather Service Prediction Center said that widespread showers and storms were expected throughout the day today with the risk of excessive rainfall over parts of those areas. Over the next couple of days, numerous showers and storms were expected to continue uh, regenerating in the vicinity of the, uh, the front and creating perhaps even more uh, challenges for them. 
just yet another example of the fact that we need to not only pray on the National Day of Prayer, but we need to be in prayer for our fellow countrymen, uh, not exclusively for our country, but certainly those with whom we uh, share nationality. Um, There's lots to pray about on the National Day of Prayer. Certainly headlines just from today are an indication of that. Well, in his first epistle to Timothy, the Apostle Paul wrote, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. I want to stop and pause there for a moment. Not just good men, not just men with whom I agree, not just men I like, not just men for that matter, but we are to make supplication, prayers, intercessions, and give thanks for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, we might think, well, clearly Paul does not live in the 21st century under the current regime, and you fill in the blanks of what uh, you find unacceptable. And yet Paul lived under the Roman rule and knew what oppression and tyranny was really all about. So he's talking about people that didn't have the freedom to decide who their leaders were going to be, had no say in the course that their um, territory or country or tribe or nation was going to take. And yet he says, this is what the will of God requires of us. Now, I don't know about you, but it requires the, uh, the Holy Spirit to give me a desire to do it and certainly the power to do it in earnestness. But that's what we're told to do in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. To Titus, the apostle wrote, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Titus 3, 1. It's God's will for Christians to be good citizens. We are to obey the law of the land insofar as it does not conflict with the law of God. We are to respect those in public office. We are to pray for government officials. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God. And if we want to be good and acceptable in the sight of God, if we want to be obedient, this is what we are called upon to do. We don't have to pray for the success of the initiatives taken by these individuals. We are called upon to pray, but we should pray that God would intervene when they are on the wrong course, that he would interrupt their plans when they um, are evil, or that he would send uh, wise counselors to influence the decisions they make moving forward. We are to pray for the president, for his cabinet members and his advisors of every administration at every time. Pray that he would have the moral and political courage to do what is best for the nation. Pray that he would set high moral and ethical standards of conduct for himself and those associated with him, setting an example for other world leaders to follow. In the absence of that kind of leadership and example, we need to pray that um, we could install and people who are voting would be wise in casting their ballots to vote in people who fit that profile. Pray that we would surround, or rather that he would surround himself with people of integrity and godly wisdom, and that he would have a Daniel to reveal the things of God to him. We're to pray for the Supreme Court. As the small rudder of a very large ship determines its direction, the decisions of the men and women of the Supreme Court affect the course of North American society. We're to pray that justices would be just and upright in their decisions. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give them wisdom and insight. Pray that men and women on high, of high moral character and sharp legal minds would be added to the bench as the older justices are replaced, bearing the interests of the people and not just their own or their own preferences. We need to pray for Congress. Members of Congress establish the laws that govern our nation. We need to pray for them, beginning with those we like the least. Pray for people of integrity and moral character to be elected to those chambers. Pray that they would have strength to withstand political corruption. 
Pray that they would have vision and wisdom to pass the laws to promote domestic tranquility while keeping the nation safe internationally. And in the absence of those qualities, pray that God would install those in the future who would carry them out. We need to pray for the governor or state officials. Pray that the governor and state officials would see what is best for the state or uh, not just uh, what's politically expedient to satisfy lobbyists or other interest groups. Pray that they would be of high moral character, sensitive to divine leadership, and strong enough to resist political corruption. Pray that all of these leaders would come to faith in Christ so that they would have that internal rudder to help guide them in the right direction. We need to pray for our county commissioners, our mayors, city councilors, The mayor, the council members, uh, they're all neighbors. They reside in our community. And we need to pray that they would seek the good of the city, the county, not just their own. Pray that they would be men and women of morality and integrity with strength of character. Pray that they would promote peace and tranquility in the communities. And that they would help establish an environment that helps the church to fulfill its commission. We can pray that the city or county's laws and ordinances wouldn't hinder the growth of the church as it seeks to reach out to the lost and to build new facilities and serve those, uh, our neighbors. And we need to pray for civil service personnel that uh, protect and service our communities, police officers, firefighters, sanitation workers, hospital workers, and other such men and women who help to make our community safe, comfortable, livable. Pray that God would protect them and keep them safe and that we all may live in security and peace. This is the National Day of Prayer, and these are some of the things that we are called upon in Scripture to pray for, and the opportunity, uh, the call to pray corporately, is uh, really a tremendous opportunity for us. 1 Peter 2.17 says this, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We don't have an emperor, but you know what word we would insert there. Romans 13, 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. By God. Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Are you confounded by the decisions made by the city council? Pray for them. Pray for them. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Psalm 2, verses 10 and 11, therefore, you kings, you presidents, you leaders in Congress, you Supreme Court justices, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Humble yourselves. Proverbs eleven fourteen. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. And that is, of course, if they are wise and discerning advisors. Proverbs 21, 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it, referring to the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is the, the sovereign, and he has the, the authority to change things according to his purpose as we pray. Job 12.23, he makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. There are consequences to decisions that are made by leaders and the people who elect them in our case. And he's the one who makes nations great or destroys them. We need to pray for mercy. Proverbs 2, 1 through 8. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, 
Turn your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield for those whose walk is blameless, for for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. May we be faithful, informed and thoughtful when praying and talking to others about our politics as we ask for God's wisdom and righteousness to be evident in our nation's policies and leaders. And let us pray that it would begin with us, that our hearts would be made right before the Lord, that we would not allow anything that frustrates us or disappoints us or angers us um, to somehow be an impediment to the primary responsibility that we have as followers of Christ, as ambassadors of Christ. He is our sovereign, and our primary responsibility is to serve him and to serve his priorities. Lord, help us to do that despite the challenges that we face today, despite the fears that we have, the frustrations we may hold. When I pray for God's kingdom to come, I pray for his rule to come, for salvation to come, for people to be saved. The Bible also makes it clear that God's will is to save people. So the first thing we can pray for our nation is that he would bring his rule and let his will be done and save multitudes. Pray that God will bring his kingdom rule into the lives of our leaders and save them. Pray that God will save our president and his family and that he will save every senator, representative and Supreme Court justice, that he will save thousands of government workers. What a privilege we have to come before God in prayer. Up next, we're going to talk with Phyllis McNeil. She's the founder of Straight Talk. She's got quite a testimony. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I recently received an email from a listener who brought my next guest to my attention as a woman of purpose, a woman who's making an impact. And with some of the challenges we're facing, she is a woman that reminds us that there is hope. I'm referring to Phyllis McNeil. She is the founder of Straight Talk. It's a program that provides mentoring for troubled young people and adults that's made an impact and continues to reach into the hearts of those who find their circumstances overwhelming uh, to the point where they find hope. And so I am just honored to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us, Phyllis McNeil. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I feel so blessed and honored. Well, let's begin with a bit of your story, because part of the empathy that you uh, demonstrate in your work comes out of a life that was uh, very difficult from the very beginning. Yes. The reason why I birthed Straight Talk in 1990 is my way of saying thank you, because during my formative years growing up in a very chaotic family, uh, my mother was a single mother with three kids three girls. I'm a middle child. And she married a man with four kids and they disrupted our whole home. My mother, she made some poor choices in her life with men she had in her life. You know, it was drug dealers. We had, I was, you know, I was, uh, she had drugs in the house. She had, uh, she was, she always got beat by a man with a lot of violence in the house. We had no structure. So I got to do what I wanted to do. I was a child that was out of control. I was worse than 15 baby kids in a classroom without their daily medication. Mm. So you know the teachers had it. I was had a behavior problem. I was disrespectful, 
unruly, very violent, very depressed. I was in special ed, you know, back in the 60s, you know, I, I, well, back in those days, I was called in the special ed class from uh, first grade all the way to sixth grade. I was a behavior problem. And I started running away from home when I was about maybe about 12 years old and uh, got into some not so good foster homes, but I didn't give up because I know there was going to be a good foster home out there. So I would return home. So my social worker, she got tired of me running away from the foster homes that she was placing me in. And about 13 to school, I got so out of control in school, they had to refer me to a therapist in the community. And at the age of 13, I met a therapist. Only therapist I've had in my life was Sandra Lane. And she started to work, work with me, you know, um, see why I was having all these problems balancing, you know, she brought out the best of me and I started to change, but my mother didn't want to go into counseling because that was part of uh, the treatment for her, for us to go in together. But she went to two sessions and that was it. But to make a long story short, and I would go back home, there were still problems in my home. So at the age of 14, running away so much, my social worker got tired of me. The last time I ran away, I was 14. She left me on the street for 28 days. Mm. And I got tired of being on the street. I didn't miss not one day of school. I was in the 10th grade, so I went to school. But I contacted several agencies in the community to try to, for family unification, but no one would help me. I had no other choice but to turn myself into Inglewood Police Department. We had a big parent meeting conference with my social worker, and I told him, I'm not going back on the streets anymore. I had two options. You go back on the streets. We're not going to put you in no more foster home. Or I said, I wanted to take, I want the custody to be taken away from my mother on a permanent basis. It's a, it's a process. I said, I can't stay on the streets while we're going through a process. So they offered me, they could put me in juvenile hall. Mm-hmm. They said, we don't want to put you in juvenile hall because you haven't committed a crime. We have to put the handcuffs on you. I said, you know what? You can put the handcuffs on me tonight because I'm going to juvenile hall. Yes, I have not committed a crime, but I have no other options. Yeah. And I want to make something out of my life. So I went to juvenile hall and I got placed. I went to another system. Left the foster care system. They gave me a probation officer. I had not committed any crimes yet. They labeled me incorrigible. 601, that's what they call me, 601 incorrigible youth because I ran away from home trying to, you know, cry out for help. Anyway, uh, I got placed at the Jacqueline Girls Home because my therapist made a recommendation to the court. Phyllis need a loving and nurturing home with structure. She's going to do some testing. She's very bright and intelligent, but she's going to be okay. So the placement... I got placed at the Jacqueline Girls Home January 17, 1974. Uh, I, I met my dream mom, my mom I was been praying about for years, Maxine McGinnis, the owner and director of the Jacqueline Girls Home. She started working on me one-on-one, and she, I got in the girls' home. It was about two months after I was in the girls' home. Another problem happened. I got kicked out of Boston High School. I tell you, I was a behavior problem. was not going to change overnight. Because I threw a pencil at a substitute teacher when she turned her back. Yes, I did. They kicked me out of Los Angeles High School. They told my mom, Maxine, my mom said, if I get her together, you know, this is the 10th grade, the second semester, 
We had the summer. If I can get her together over the summer, would you take her back to Los Angeles High School? Oh, yes, Ms. McGinnis, because just like the criminals have a loan rap sheet, I had a loan behavior uh, sheet, behavior, uh, uh, I would say, rap sheet from school. Mm-hmm. So she worked on me. I said, she's working for the Lord. Because when I went back to school, still sitting in the back row, I sit in the front row, I was well-behaved. They didn't have any more problems out of me. I graduated from Los Angeles High School in 1976. Believe it or not, what honors. I had a civil star on my diploma. That I mean, when I was living with my mother, they, was, they didn't even expect me to graduate from junior high school, let alone high school. She gave me hope. She brought up the best of me. She said, Phyllis, no matter what you're going through in life, if your heart is right, and just you, if you do the right thing in life, make the right decision, you can, you can make something out of your life. So she sat down with me at a very early age, 16. I wrote down my goals, what I wanted to be. I said I wanted to be a probation officer or work in the field of social services at 16. I became what I wrote down mm-hmm. on that picture. Only thing was different, instead of becoming a, a probation officer, I became a parole officer and I worked in the field of social services. So dreams do come true. She gave me hope. She was strict. She was a very disciplinary person, very strict, but very loving and nurturing. She just she tried to put my family back together, but my family would not budge, you know. And I went on to college, Cal State Long Beach, got my uh, undergrad in uh, psychology. And then um, I got a good job. I worked for the Youth Authority. California Youth Authority was once a client of the of, yes. of the juvenile system, but I got a job in the Youth Authority at a very early age. And uh, in 1989, later I got promotions, and my other promotion I got, I became a parole agent in 1989. All my dreams came true. I Then after I was on probation for a year, you know, job probation, I implemented the Straight Talk program because... I don't want any kid to have to go through what I had to go through as a child. I didn't have a childhood. I didn't have a childhood. Uh, I just was fighting, putting out fires all my life. You know, and I don't want no kid to have to go through what I have to go through or an adult. Because if the child don't get their problems fixed as an adult, it goes right into fix as a child, it goes right into the yeah, adult life. Yeah. Now, yeah. what was it? You had a mentor that you call your guardian angel. There were two in your life that made a significant difference. But as a young girl, despite the background that statistically would say, this girl's going to be a problem throughout her life. She's probably going to end up in the uh, uh, in the justice system. What was it that made the difference for you that you saw a future for yourself that your circumstances did not dictate? Well, I had a mentor. My first guardian angel was my therapist at 13. She brought up the best of me. And, you know, she, I mean, she was, she was a, she was a community worker. She went beyond the call of duty to save my mm-hmm. life, to show me, you know, you get in front of the judge. They don't want to hear that you come for dysfunctional family. You've got to be responsible for your own actions, whether they be good actions or you make poor choices. So she made me realize, Phyllis, you have to get yourself together. If you want to make it in life, you know, you don't have no control of the family that you were, you know, you were birthed into, but what you have control over is the decision that you make. That was one uh, guardian angel. The second one was my mom, Maxine McGinnis. Oh, my God. I mean, I prayed for a good mom. 
I couldn't ask for a better mom. I was like her biological child in that girl's home. She only kept anywhere between four girls or six girls. Four was the limit. And she gave us all the loving. She showed us a good life. She stressed, get a, you know, get an education. She taught us so many good things. Be kind to one another. Respect one another. Love one another. Don't judge anybody. Accept people where they're at because, you know what, if you start judging people, talking about people, you have issues. And that's not right. Mm. Now, you launched uh, the Straight Talk uh, Talk program. You're the founder and the CEO. How does that program reflect your experience and the encouragement you received when you were at your lowest point? Well, it gave me hope. So when I do the mentoring, I try to motivate these uh, kids and adults. No matter what card you were dealt with in life, don't be a victim of that. You can turn that negative, that pain, into into helping yourself heal. And then, you know, that's what I did. I turned my pain that I suffered, all the hurt, and I was sexually abused, I mean, psychological, physically, and I turned it into something positive. So that's what I tell the kids that I mentor in adults. And then I have a speaking bureau, too. I go out in the community and tell my testimony, and I work with formerly incarcerated people who are no longer going in and out of that prison. I call it a revolving door. I give them hope, too. Because I said I could be, I could have been sitting right in prison. I could have been walking issues, but I had somebody that helped me, and I'm here to help you. Did mm-hmm. your faith play a role in um, your inspirational story and your ability to encourage others who were where you once were? Yes, because I prayed. I didn't know the power of praying, but I didn't give up. I, I learned to pray as a very young kid because I was sick in the head, and I asked God get these sick thoughts out of my head. So I, I was very spiritual, very spiritual at a very young age and didn't, didn't give up the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, today is the National Day of Prayer, and I think your story is an inspiration to those who are praying either for themselves or are praying uh, for others. And I want to commend you for the work that you're doing and uh, for the impact that you're making. You could have made lots of other decisions about your future, uh, but you chose to love and extend grace to uh, to others. Now, for listeners who are interested in more information about Straight Talk, what's the best way for them to find out more about the program? Well, they can call me. My phone number is uh, 951-272-5747. Once again, area code 951-272-5747. My website is www.s for straight, t for talk, p for program, i for ice, n for nancy, c for christ, dot, o for ox, r for revelation, g for God. Phyllis, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, and I, I just pray God's blessing on your continued work. Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, Phyllis McNeil, just an incredible story, a woman whose life was turned around, and she chose to apply her energy and uh, the grace that she had received to extend grace to others. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, in Timothy's, um, or I should say Paul's epistle to Timothy, he wrote, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, 
for kings, and for those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That's First Timothy, the second chapter, verses 1 through 3. To Timothy, or rather to Titus, the apostle wrote, put them in mind to be subject to the principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready uh, to every good work. It is God's will for Christians to be good citizens. We are to obey the laws of the land as long as they do not conflict with the laws of God. We are to respect those in public office. We are to pray for government officials. And this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. When we pray, we pray for the president and his cabinet members, his advisors. It doesn't matter which party that individual belongs to, whether or not their policies we favor. But we are to pray that he or she, so thus far it's only ever been he, would have the moral and political courage to do what is best for the nation. And where there's an absence of moral and political courage, that God would give them wisdom in order that they might gain moral and political courage. We pray that he would set high moral and ethical standards to conduct for himself and those associated with him, setting an example for other world leaders to follow. In the absence of that example, we pray that God's wisdom would flood that individual so that there would be a transformation. We pray that he would surround himself with people of integrity and godly wisdom. We pray that he would have a Daniel to reveal the things of God to him. We pray for the Supreme Court. It's a small uh, rudder of a large ship, and it determines its direction. The decisions of the men and women of the Supreme Court affect the course of North American society. We pray for the justices, that they would be just and upright in their decisions. We pray that the Holy Spirit would give them wisdom and insight. We pray that men and women of high moral character and sharp legal minds would be added to the bench as the older justices are replaced. And in the absence of wisdom, that they might gain from God the wisdom they so desperately need, and they would gain an understanding of their need for God to understand the world and his will. We pray for members of Congress to establish laws that govern our nation. We pray for people of integrity and moral character to be elected to those chambers. We pray that they would have strength to withstand political corruption, and we pray that they would have vision and wisdom to pass the laws to promote domestic tranquility while keeping the nation safe uh, internationally. In the absence of that kind of wisdom, of moral integrity, we pray that they might gain it, that they would gain wisdom, and that if their plans are contrary to the will of God, that they would fail. We pray for the governor of every state. Uh, We pray that the governor or um, uh, the leader would use what is best for the state or province and not what is uh, just politically expedient to satisfy lobbyists, that they would be uh, individuals in this case, that she would be an individual of integrity. And in the absence of integrity, that there would come a season of repentance and wisdom. We pray that they would be of high moral character, sensitive to divine leadership and strong enough to resist political corruption. We pray for county commissioners, for the mayor, for the city council, uh, for the mayor, the city council members, the commissioners. Uh, they are our neighbors. They reside in our communities. And we pray that they would seek the good of the city and the county and not just their own. We pray that they would be men and women of moral and character and integrity with strength of character. We pray that they would promote peace and tranquility in our communities and that they would help establish an environment that helps the church to fulfill its commission rather than be an impediment. We pray that the city and the county's laws and ordinances would not hinder the growth of the church as it seeks to reach out to the lost and to build uh, new facilities. 
And we pray for those who serve in civil service personnel, that they would protect and serve our communities well for police officers and firefighters, for sanitation workers and hospital workers and other such men and women who help to make our community safe and comfortable places to live. We pray that God would protect them and keep them safe and that we all may live in security and peace. These are the kinds of prayers that are being lifted up all across the country. Began early in the morning today in Eastern time, three hours before our own men and women took to prayer. They fell to their knees. Some lifted their hands and stood in the sanctuary, some by their desk, others around the flagpole of their school in various places in different circumstances, maybe sitting in the car on their way to work or to child care. People are praying on behalf of our nation. And the headlines, every single one of them that we referenced earlier today and reference every day, is uh, certainly evidence that we desperately need uh, God to have greater influence in our country, to have greater influence in our culture. And as we humble ourselves and recognize that we are in desperate need, that the Savior would reflect his character in and through us, that we would repent of our own sins, that we would commit to following him more perfectly, that we would ask for the power through his Holy Spirit to love others well, particularly those with whom we disagree, particularly those um, whose sins we find particularly offensive, perhaps uh, underestimating the uh, the weight of our own, that we would be men and women of faith that would reflect the heart of God and not simply our own um, ideas and our own preferences, that God would somehow transform us into men and women um, that would be impactful, that would have an influence in our culture, and that we would uh, reflect the character of Christ. I want to close today's program with a, a simple song that just reminds us that praying can make a difference. God invites us into his presence to pray. It's not just a, an empty exercise uh, in which we acknowledge um, that God is who he is and we are what we are, but it is uh, what we've been invited to do and that God promises when we uh, pray and cry out to him that he will hear our prayer. And we entrust those requests to him always with the provision, Lord, your will be done. These are the things that I'm praying about. These are the things that I'm praying for. But ultimately, Lord, we recognize that you are the sovereign God. You see the end from the beginning. You see an overview of all of human history. And so we submit our request before you. And we ask, Father God, that ultimately your will be done. Sometimes God's will can be very painful. In the nation of Israel, when the people cried out to him, Sometimes it was too late, and in order to carry out his judgment, there were consequences that were necessary. The, the kingdom was split. There was exile that was a part of that history. But God was always faithful to the word that he had given those people, the, the covenant, um, that he would bring them together, and there would be an, a, 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 I can't think of the word, the uh, someone from David's uh, line to sit on the throne, and he was faithful to keep that promise. So we can cry out to him. Uh, make our requests known. He invites us to do that and entrust those uh, uh, those things that we're asking for to him and trust that he will hear our prayer and that his will will be done. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.